0: Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's so good. I love that passage. I love this passage. I love this passage. And, and, you know, this is very fresh after our Lord was crucified and rose again. This is seven short weeks after that. And here are, the, are the, the new community that's being formed, this new community that Jesus spoke about, that he asked them to go and create, it's being formed right here. And actually this is this book is written by um, a man called Luke, Dr. Luke, and it's the second volume and he's he's writing it for a man called Theophilus, who perhaps was some kind of official because he starts his first volume of the book in Luke, Most Excellent Theophilus theophilus so theophilus has commissioned or or asked luke to do an investigative report and get back to him about all that's going on in this new community what's happened how did it happen how did it start and we don't know if luke was already a christian or through his investigation became a christian but certainly by this point he is a christian and he says in luke that he's talking to many of the people who knew jesus And it's not like the people like us, that people talk to us because we know Jesus. It's the people who were first eyewitnesses that he's going and talking to. He's talking to the people who sat with Jesus. He's talking to the people who received the food from Jesus that came out of nowhere. He's talking to the people who um, sat and prayed with Jesus, who sat under his teaching, who saw him do miracles, who were there when he spat into Um, his hands and 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 put his hands on someone's eyes and healed them he's there when this is all taking place and so then Jesus dies and and they're all bereft and then he's resurrected and they see him and they're all overjoyed and then he goes up into the sky and ascends and and there's two men standing there in white and they say what what are you doing here standing at the staring at the sky go back and wait and you're going to receive power go and wait for the thing that Jesus asked you to wait for so they go back and they keep praying and they keep meeting together and they wait until the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. You see, they just had their Passover meal and then Jesus dies and rises again as the first fruits of all who would come and rise again. That's us. And also then the day of Pentecost comes, which was actually set down in feasts thousands of years before. It's just phenomenal and crazy. You couldn't make this stuff up. But here they are at the new community and they're gathering together in prayer. There's the sound of a rushing wind. They see tongues of fire come on people's heads and they begin to speak in other tongues and fulfilling what the prophet Joel said, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on young and old and men and women and they'll do a crazy, amazing thing. So here are all people there. They're understanding in their own language everything that people are saying and they say, these men must be drunk, which is a strange thing to say because when did drunkenness ever induce intelligence in people that all of a sudden, when have you been drunk last time? Never because you're all Christian, but when did you ever having drunk too much start to speak in a language that you didn't know and someone understood you unless they were very drunk as well that's not what happened here what was happening here was something incredible and amazing and they couldn't explain it and that day Peter got up and preached a message and 3,000 people said yes please I want to repent I want to be baptized don't you wish you were there oh my goodness, I get a little bit excited if you couldn't tell about those days. And I, I hope that one day, like imagine if we get to be a part of the outpouring of the spirit like that. Imagine if we get to be part of a massive revival and see things like that. Maybe some of you have seen it and I want to hear about it. I want to talk to you. I want to know about it. I want to talk to the, these people when we get to heaven and say, what was that like? I can't wait For that, And and, and I love it, I love all the thought of it and I love this new community. So we come down to this utopian new community. They're all together, they're all loving each other, they're all enjoying each other's company and, and they're all growing their hair long and wearing floral dresses. No, that's the 60s, this is the New Testament. No, they're all together and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it happens again that they all put their possessions together uh, In chapter 4, verse 32, it says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. There is this beautiful new community. And I I think about this because you know what I want? I want awe. (laughs) I want gatherings that are filled with awe. I love the thought of that. But do you see that just then I relegated in one sentence to the awe-filled things being happening on one hour on Sunday? You see, everyone was filled with awe right across the week. It was their lives and the way they carried out their lives that were filled with awe. But we seem to put it in the context of what our gatherings look like. Now, this is so much more than our gatherings. This is going out. And also, there were many miraculous signs and wonders. That wasn't just on a, in church on Sunday. That was going out and across the week and in their community. And they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. I, I love this. And as I look at it, I desperately want it. But what I know is uh, something that Craig Rochelle says and last time I tried to quote this, I made an absolute mess of it so I'm going to try to get this right. I have a problem quoting. Okay, here we go, here we go. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what few people have, do what few people do, right? If you want to do what everyone else does then you'll get what everyone else has. If you want what only a few people have then you'll do what... Only the few people do. And Craig Rochelle is a pastor in America and he is, he is this. He is like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he only drinks water. That's the only drink that he drinks. He's like, right, well, I'm, I, I need to um, do what only the few people do. He every morning has uh, porridge for breakfast with six blueberries, like every single morning. And, and, and he says this, he backs this up with a thought he read in a book called Atomic, Hobbit, Atomic Habits and he says, (laughs) yes, I want to see some Atomic Hobbits. (laughs) He backs it up, Atomic Habits, by saying that, um, okay, one thing that we all do at the start of the year, January, we say I want to lose 15 kilos by the end of this year, get to December and say I've only got 20 to go. Um, And... (laughs) But but rather than having these output goals, we have input goals where we actually say, well, I can't control the output, I can only control the input, so perhaps my goal should be not what it looks like at the other end, but okay, I quit sugar or I'm only going to drink water or whatever it looks like and then we'll um, be able to maybe see an output but we can't control the output. I want us to look with that lens at this passage because there's so many things that we desperately want here but we've only got control over the input, not over the output. So when we look at this, let's look at this. The ones that I desperately want, everyone was filled with awe. That's an output goal, right? Many wonders and miraculous signs were done. That's an output. We have no control over that. That's up to God. Selling their... Pos- okay, that's a, this one is a, um, a controversial one. Selling their possessions and goods. Well, we'd say, well, that's an input. That's what we do. I would beg to differ. I would say it's an output because I think you can only do this successfully under the unction of the Holy Spirit rather than just doing it because we want to and we want to emulate this. In fact, when people tried to do it in their own strength in chapter five, a man called Ananias and Sapphira, it didn't go well for them because they had a different kind of motivation than the unction of the Holy Spirit doing it. It was more about comparison and wanting to be seen to do the right thing. So I would, I would, I would contend that that's an output. It says here that they praise God And enjoyed the favour of all the people. Praising God is an input. Enjoying the favour of all the people is an output. We have no control. We could rock up to church next week. The whole nation could have turned and we will enjoy the persecution of all the people. That's not up to us. Us is just to praise God. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That is output. So if the output is up to God, the input is up to us. And what are we going to do as it relates to this passage. Now, I would suggest that this had never happened before and only a few short chapters later, chapter 5, it never never happened again. They then spread. Maybe there's been places and pockets where this has happened, but the believers have never enjoyed this kind of unity and fellowship since. Maybe not till we get to heaven I don't want to sound pessimistic saying that. I hope that's not the case. But I believe it's on us to do everything we can to bring this. Because we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So why would we pray that if we're not prepared to do what God asks us to do? So let's look at this. Two words. Two words. I want you to say them after me. I think we're going to put them on the screen. Homothumidon and proskiterio. Can we say these together? Homothumidon and proskiterio. Any Greek people in the congregation this morning? This is exactly how you say these words. Homothumidon and proskiterio. Thank you. If they had have been here, they would have backed me up. They're not. So that's fine. So we're going to look at Homothumidon this morning. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They joined together. That is Homothumidon. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. That... They were all together in one place, that's homothumidon. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Together, homothumidon. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles. They were of one accord. That's homothumidon. So they're together, they're of one accord, they're of one mind. That our English translation of this word homothumidon does not come close to what it's actually describing. This homothumidon word is amazing. And let me give you an example from marriage. It doesn't matter if you're married or not married, you've seen this. You know, when people are married and they're just together, like, you know, they're 87 years old and they're walking down the street holding hands and everything they do is so beautiful and together. And you can just see that they're going along together. It's what we all want and strive for and so often fail to meet, but it's just together. It's like, oh no, I'll sacrifice myself for what you want to do. No, I'll sacrifice myself for what you want to do. It's this constant deference battle between them. And they're just going for the same goal and they're together, they're married and they're together and then we also know that there's marriages where they're married but there's like a clashing of the goals that's not a common output and common, I just saw a couple like give each other a little kiss like that's us, oh you guys, oh, praise the Lord for you, I won't look at you so as to embarrass you but, um, but there's others that and, and, and you may have even experienced the same in, in your own marriage where you've had seasons where you're together and seasons where you're clashing and you know the difference of being together and yet you're married all the time. Um, let me give you another example and that is, okay, let's consider the the way that God caused husband and wife to be the closest that they can together without me spelling that out. Um, sometimes you're, you're together and you're so together and other times you're together and you're not actually together. And and if you felt awkward about that, consider the fact that I preached this message with my children in the room and how awkward they felt. Okay. <laughs> so there's a togetherness that is that, that God is talking about here in Homothebidon. Amos chapter three, verse three says this. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? How can two walk together unless they be agreed? There's an agreement, an alignment of heart and soul and mind in this phrase homothemidine. It's a compound word that means to rush along in unison. And the word is orchestral in nature. It's where a conductor is standing there and everyone comes along and brings their pitch and their tone and their different instrument and their melody and their harmony. And it comes together to create a beautiful concerto that is never achievable with everyone just playing the same thing at the same time with the same instrument. God has created us uniquely different and wired us so completely differently. But he says there's an ability to come together that is absolutely Absolutely stunning. You know what? When I think about this, hum, I begin to be filled with awe. <laughs> That's what happens to me. Where actually we come together for a common goal, and the common goal hasn't changed. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. When we come together to lift up Jesus, we can achieve this homeothumidon. Because our one mind, our one accord is not agreement about whether or not you love the new stage design, which I personally do. It's not about that. It's about just Jesus. That's the one accord. And as we come and we say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Not to us, but to your name we lift up all praise. And as we begin to do that, as we go after Jesus, then the things that could distract us and divide us, just begin to fall off. And when someone comes to you and says, did you hear about such and such? You're like, I'm sorry, I'm looking at Jesus. I don't have time for that. And when they come and say, oh, have you heard about whatever? <laughs> You're like, no, I'm sorry. Come with me, homothumidon. Let's go after Jesus together. Well, let's not get caught up in civilian affairs and worry about all that kind of thing. Let's have in one mind going after the same thing. That's our input right there the second one, proskiterio, proskiterio. See, these two words are used... I, I just love saying it. I don't know if it's right or not. I just really like saying it. And, uh, and, and it reminds me a little bit of Effie from... Um Acropolis now, um, but these two words are used mainly in the book of Acts in the Bible, Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 14, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. That constantly, that's proskiterio. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That devoted is Uh Acts chapter 2 verse 46, every day they continued, that continued is proskiterio. Just to give you a bit of a different context for this, in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Faithful there in that context is Uh Again, a different context. Romans chapter 13, verse 6, it says, This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. That concept of giving their time is proskiterio so this is a concept of devoting time to staying steadfast in staying committed to going after together constantly that's proskiterio steadfast i want to ask a question where's your proskiterio because you know where i see just in our world the most steadfast commitment is to people's abs Like, people are so committed to their abs. If people have abs, they are committed. They will photograph those abs. They will show the world those abs. They will eat six hours in every 24 so that they can undergo a process called autography whereby their cells renew so much that their abs have the best chance of being the best that they can be. People are steadfastly committed to their abs. People are steadfastly committed, I must say, and and just let me front load it with saying I'm not steadfastly committed, unfortunately, to any of these things, but to, their, to their, their glutes. They will detect a hint of sugar in their whole food, raw food, root, wheat grass, wheat, wow, wheatgrass smoothie and throw that thing out if they can taste it because they're so committed to their abs and their glutes. People are committed to their lawns, aren't they? So committed. Sir Walter Lawn not a single bindi or hint of nut grass in there they are committed that's all at equidistant height and from the fence beautiful i clearly have no idea what i'm talking about you should see alone it's horrendous but but they're committed some people are so committed are people committed in our day and age to the sanctity of life People are more committed to their abs and to their lawn than they are to the sanctity of life. Now, they're not mutually exclusive, I understand that. But where the evidence is in our world of steadfastness are the things that don't matter. And the evidence of flakiness are the things that truly matter. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about marriage. He said that love doesn't create a great foundation for marriage. Marriage creates a great foundation for love. Because if there's a marriage, then there's a commitment and a steadfastness that then is able to have love worked out of that. Because there's a steadfastness that starts there. We look around us and we see flakiness in our world everywhere. There's flakiness where there should be steadfastness. We even know it as it relates to church attendance, to what was generations before just a non-option. And maybe our grandparents' age became an option. And then to our parents' age became a, an opt-in. And then, then to my generation, it's like, well, if you want to or if you've even heard of Jesus, sure. We see the the deterioration of steadfastness through the generations. But we can't expect this kind of output or signs, wonders, God adding daily, unless there's a steadfastness about us. If we're flaky and it's the second a hard thing comes along, we're out. Sorry, this is too hard. We can't expect the kind of things that these New Testament Christians saw because they were devoted. They continued to meet. They continued to join together. When Jesus left, it could have all been done, but they continued to come together to pray. What will we be steadfast about? What will we be steadfast about? I believe that we have an opportunity ahead of us to decide to be steadfast, proskiterio, where we actually can say, you know, there's been areas of my life where there has been a flakiness and no steadfastness, but I resolve with the help of the Holy Spirit that I'm turning that around and I'm saying, putting a stake in the ground and saying, as for me and my house, these are the things that we're committed to, these are the things that we're steadfast around and let me tell you, without that, it will not get done. Our hearts get warmed at the thought of homothumidon. But we're challenged with prosketerio. But both are needed. Both are needed. Okay. In just a few minutes, I'm going to go to devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching, we need to think about the fact that the apostles only had two sources For their teaching. One was the Old Testament, and the other was Jesus' life himself. (laughs) Okay, so these apostles went to school at five years old. And it was hoped they were hoped that by the time they were 13 that they had memorised the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That was their goal. At 13, most of the girls or all of the girls would be sent home to learn how to run the household and most of the boys would be to learn the family trade and to continue their studies, to look further into the prophets and the writings and they would continue to study. So um, that's the memorandum of understanding that these fishermen and tax collectors came from there weren't those that had been chosen especially to continue their schooling no they'd gone home and learnt the family trade they hadn't been accepted into any rabbi school to continue to learn the nuances of the um, old testament in fact no one like that came on the scene until paul but at this stage when this is happening when they're devoting themselves to the apostles teaching And Paul is still killing Christians and finding them to be able to kill them. So here we have them. They're devoting themselves to, the people are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. I wonder how many were saved that actually had more knowledge than the apostles had. But they didn't care about that. They cared about devoting themselves in this unity to be able to keep going in the one direction. The other thing that these fishermen and tax collectors had that that they didn't have was this working knowledge of Jesus Christ, the way he'd lived, the way he'd acted, the way he'd been with them. And so they had that as their source, and their primary source was Jesus himself. All that they heard was passed on. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Because I think this is so important for our day and age. Philippians 4 verse 9 says this. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You see, here in this, Paul's writing, uh, I've got it. And he says later in another passage to Timothy, I've given you something. Now entrust that to faithful men and let them pass it out and delineate it out to uh, the people. There's this method and model of the word of God being imparted and then people taking it and further imparting it to others. You know, that's what the whole super connect is about. That's what your connect groups at home are about. You can come and listen to a person expound the word, but it needs to be entrusted to people for them to be able to discuss it and draw it out and work out how to live it out. That's how it works. And here's Paul. And he's saying, whatever... You have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We have more access to teaching than we ever have in the world. Podcasts. Other things like podcasts, YouTube channels, Facebook, all sorts of things that we can use to hear the word of God. And you know what I say? I say listen to it all. Listen to the things that you agree with and that inspire you. Listen to the things that you don't agree with and that that challenge you, that force you back to the word of God to figure out why you don't agree with that. Listen to it all. But Do it in the framework of having spiritual oversight. You see, Paul says here, whatever you have learned from me, oh, fur tick, I've learned from him, tick, Uh, or received from me. TD Jakes, he's brilliant, I've received so much from him, tick, or heard from me, oh, Bill Johnson, man, he brings a great word, or seen in me. We can't see in a YouTube channel. We can't see in a podcast. We need to have spiritual oversight that causes us to be able to see in a person the way that they live that out. You might say, well, Bron, I've been hurt by spiritual oversight before. I encourage you to join the club of every human on the earth. Everyone's been hurt by spiritual oversight before. Why? Because we're human it's not, we're not looking to that person to fulfill our every need. No, we're knowing that they're human, but looking for the fact that God sets up people in authority and that as we honor that authority, that there's a blessing for everyone involved. You know what? You should see my Bible. It's written in, it's underlined, it's got question marks, it's got stuff everywhere. I, I, I Call me a non-Christian, but I can't go a few days without looking at this thing and drawing stuff out of it. I become soulish. I, my attitude gets rank. I need this word of God. I love it like crazy. It's one of my most, I'm so grateful that I was born in this age in this time where the, the word of God isn't pu- chained to a pulpit in Latin and as an uneducated woman, I have no access to it whatsoever. Now, we've got more access to it than ever before and I love it and I, I pull everything that I can from it but yet the Bible tells me that I need to be devoted to some teaching. You know, I I feel like like I could read it and get my own stuff. But no, I'm instructed to come in under authority and to ensure that it's in the framework of spiritual oversight that I learn the Word of God as well. You might say, Bron, I pretty much know more than everyone um, in the world about the Bible. And we'll... I would say congratulations and well done for being here this morning and submitting yourself to sitting under the teaching of the Word of God because that's exactly what God asks of you. And I believe in the Holy Spirit being able to impart to us directly what we need, even beyond what the preacher is saying. So there's something about being obedient to spiritual oversight that God instils right at the start of this new community. Sounds to me like proskiterio, that you stay with it, that you're steadfast. And that you keep going devoted to the Apostles' teaching. Okay. Lastly, this homothumidon, this proskaterio, this being devoted to the Apostles' teaching. You know, a big circle was drawn around the whole of humanity when Jesus said, Love your neighbour as yourself. He put a big circle right around humanity and said, Everyone's inside the circle, love everyone in the circle. That is what he wanted. And, 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 then he, and then in the New Testament, Paul takes it right down to the home and gives specific instructions to husbands and wives on how to best outwork the love that God has instilled in them. He gives um, a, a, a very culturally consistent command with wives, submit to your husbands. He doesn't negate it. He doesn't say that's no more. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And that was culturally consistent. No one would have been surprised. He didn't do away with it. But he preempted it with a completely countercultural statement, submit to each other out of love. So he was saying, not just the wives submitting to their husbands, make sure there's a mutual submission and submit to each other out of love and wives submit to your husbands definitely in the framework of what I've already asked all of you to do. And then he goes, revolutionary, just post that and ask the husbands to lay down their lives for their wives. Oh my goodness, I am so glad I'm a woman. (laughs) I've only got to submit, you guys have to lay down your lives for us, wow, but you know, what it really is, what he's describing is this mutual loving submission of let me put my preference second in order to champion what's in your heart. It's such a beautiful um, commitment. Anyway, that's that's the home. And then Paul comes out a bit in Galatians 6.10, I'm pretty sure it says, yes, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all the people. That's what Jesus said that we should be doing. But he says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Before John 17, There's a whole lot of postulating going on amongst the disciples, wasn't there? They were like, am I the greatest, Jesus? Do I, can I sit at your right hand? Is that all right? Can I sit? Can I be the greatest? Is that okay? In the kingdom of heaven. And they kept um, saying, where's my position? What does it look like? I'll take the best position at the table. Then Jesus in John 17 prays for them. And he says, Lord, can you let them? He prays for us. He says, can you let them be one as you and I are one? And the whole Godhead, the Godhead's whole purpose, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is to glorify God and to, good do, do, to, be, to do good to people. And he says, can they be one like we are one? So imagine if our whole goal is to glorify God and to do good to people and everything else is just fluff and stuff, then we're going after the common theme, everything else can fade away. John 17, then he went to the cross, laid down his life, showed them what it looked like to actually outwork that. So this is none of it common to us, but I believe we need to kick on into a new gear now, take responsibility for being the church. We need to and bring our uniqueness, bring who we are and let every contentious issue fade away and go after the glory of God and the good of people. Not to us, Lord, like Cam was saying, not to us, Lord, but to you, to your name, we lift up all praise. <laughs> we just turn our eyes upon Jesus and then we stick with it. It's not we hit a bump and we bail. No, we stick with it and we go and, and maybe, we, maybe we do um, have a bit of a knock up and maybe we do fall over, but we get knocked down, we get up again and nothing going to keep us down, Right. We get back up and we go again. Prosketerio. Homethymiden. And devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, having the humility to be able to say, I actually think I know a whole lot more about the word of God than you. But because of what God asks, I put myself in a position to have spiritual oversight. And then we might be one, as Jesus prayed, we would be. We would be. Heavenly Father, Lord... Just take your word, I pray, this morning and do what you want to do with it, Lord. Sow it into people's hearts. Lord, let us be open to wherever you would challenge us. Lord, help us to move on, Lord, from milk and get into meat, God. Let us, Lord, I pray for myself there, Lord. Lord, you're growing me up day by day, and I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you would do it for all of us. And I know that that is what your heart and desire is. Grow us up, Lord Jesus. And God, we just submit ourselves to you. We commit this wonderful community of faith to you, Lord. We pray that we would be the church, not attend church. And we would know you and be known by you in Jesus' name. Amen.